1: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world, by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. Our Reasonable Voice today is a repeat guest Dr. Guy McPherson, PhD, is an author of at least 10 weather-related books and many articles and videos about climate change. He is a professor emeritus of conservation biology at the University of Arizona and a leading voice educating us about abrupt climate change. Dr. McPherson joins us today to remind us that nature bats last. Meaning, among other things, we should be expecting and preparing for abrupt climate change. Yet, this isn't a gloom and doom program today. Since December 2016, Dr. McPherson has had a regular column for the Weekly Hubris in Greece. He is committed to compiling and presenting evidence without financial compensation. Dr. McPherson lives in a homestead in the Maya mountains of Western Belize in Central America, where he is today as we speak to him on telephone, so there may be a bit of a delay. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, Dr. McPherson. How are you?
0: Thank you, Marcello. It's a pleasure to chat with you again.
1: Uh, Yes, it, it is my pleasure too. You know, as I said before we came on the air, I I enter conversations with you eager to learn uh, and at the same time somewhat reticent to ask the questions I I want to have answered, but we'll persevere. And one thing, uh, by the way, remembering uh, our last radio conversation and how you answered my question, why live in Belize, I was eager to talk to you with uh, um I wanted to talk to you again before my Washington DC home is attacked by Hurricane Florence how's that But um your answer to that why live in Belize <laughs> <laughs> your answer to uh why why live in Belize was very interesting you said because abrupt climate change will hit places like Belize first do you remember that
0: Yes and that was something of a joke but in general, mass extinction events involving abrupt warming of the planet have life that persists longest at the poles, and life goes away, essentially goes extinct, almost all life, near the equator first. And I, I you know, I think I went on to explain that I moved here for love, for love yes. as manifest in many different directions. And So that's something of a joke, but it's consistent with my leadership intellectually on the topic of abrupt climate change Mm -hmm. and the sixth mass extinction, which we are all a, a part of now. We are all participants, whether we want to believe it or not.
1: Gotcha. You know, we believe our Earth days are numbered. Because of that, we should be passionately pursuing a life of excellence, which I think is a perfect way to live all the time but especially if we are staring down abrupt climate change. Is that correct, Guy? And and, and that is that quote that I sort of mangled up probably, but uh, that you believe we should be pursuing a life of excellence as our greatest preparation or defense or whatever. But is that correct? And can we start with that half-full glass POV? What are your thoughts?
0: Yes, absolutely. I, You know, no matter how long we have, on Earth in this corporeal realm, it won't be very long by any measure. The universe we inhabit is some 13.8 billion years old. The planet itself is 4.6 billion years old. Life on Earth, our our species for example, is about 300,000 years old. No matter what we compare our individual lives to, they are short. And I've never heard any—I've never even heard of anybody who's on their deathbed and said, "Whew, glad I got that over with." It seemed like a long time. So, you know, I think that, that given the general idea, the general acceptance that our lives are short, I think it makes perfect sense to passionately pursue a life of excellence, Mm. to do what we love and to do it well. Why would we not? If you only got one shot at this whole deal. Why approach it with mediocrity? Why approach it in a, in a, in a series of fits and starts and sort of half do it and do what's easy instead of what's excellent? Why, why, why go through your life that way? I, I can't even begin to understand why people would do that, knowing that their lives are short, knowing that they have relatively few interactions with other human beings on this planet, much less with the n- entire natural world. So why not go for it, especially if these are our final days, especially if you know you're going to die, and we all do. And and we know that our time is going to be relatively short. Why not go for it? Yes. Pedal to the metal, pursuing our life urgently, instead of as if we have forever.
1: Yes. Well, most people don't even want to think about, let alone talk about death in, in any form, whatever the expectations, but i I take your point, believe me, so what's the significance of mosquito proliferation? Where does that fit in?
0: Yeah, you know when it it fits in actually quite nicely, and it's something I predicted twenty or twenty five years ago as I was teaching university classes as temperatures rise, especially the biologically limiting low temperatures or nighttime temperatures, as those temperatures rise just a little bit, biological activity increases profoundly. Mm. So mosquitoes and mosquito breeding increases profoundly with just a small increase in the minimum nightly temperatures for a few days. So that that gets them through this period. You know, they got lots of mosquitoes in the tropics and subtropics. And in wintertime, you never see a mosquito. Mm. Hmm. So what we're looking at now is a slight increase in minimum temperatures, minimum nightly temperatures, that is already driving increased biological activity. And so we're seeing a lot more mosquito-borne diseases, as well as other insect-borne diseases, like Lyme,
1: for Mm. example. Yes. I had a doctor... um uh, on, on a few weeks ago talked about the increase of ticks and described how there are more of them they are year round, even in the winter they stand on a blade of grass clinging to it with their hind legs, with their front legs ready to just hook us I mean nature, like you say nature bats last it makes it, and everyone understands what I'm saying that's B-A-T-S nature bats last
0: I took it from baseball when the home team that last. Mm-hmm. And nature, the natural world, is the home team. We think we're in charge, but really we're just minor players. We're shoveling coal down in the in the engine room of the ship. We're not actually steering the thing.
1: Hmm. Well put. What are the ramifications of, uh, I think, what you refer to as an ice-free Arctic Ocean? And, by the way, is oil drilling in the Arctic increasing the problem, or is that just an also-ran on the road to uh, to your predictions?
0: Well, that's one of the self-reinforcing feedback loops I've mentioned in the past. Drilling for oil mm. means that oil is going to be extracted, refined, and then burned, thereby increasing the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So... I think the president of Finland said it best when he was meeting with President Trump at a joint press conference in the Oval Office just over a year ago, about a year and 10 days ago. And he has repeated this sentiment many times over the course of the last year. He said at the the time, just over a year ago, I quote, if we lose the Arctic, we lose the globe. Mm. That's reality. And the only interpretation that I can come up with for this statement is if we lose the Arctic, and here he's talking about the Arctic ice clear life, so if we lose the Arctic ice for the first time in a very, very long time, then we lose habitat for our species on the globe. Hmm. Then shortly after the ice is gone, the abrupt heating that will result that's already underway, but will be greatly accelerated in the presence of an ice for the Arctic will virtually immediately cause the loss of habitat for humans on the planet. And by virtually immediately, I don't mean that minute or that hour or that day. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about within a few weeks or months, depending Mm -hmm. on the timing of the event.
1: Wow, a few weeks or months still doesn't sound like a long time. But that brings us back to whatever time we have left, for whatever reason we should be passionately pursuing a life of excellence. I love that guy. Well, you know, bring
0: up an important point. I'd like to address this. Please. You bring up the important point of weeks from months, it doesn't sound like a long time. So I wrote an essay that addressed that topic uh, several months ago. And we start with, if you know you have three seconds to live, for example, you see a mushroom cloud on the horizon, and then a 20-foot metal I-beam is in right at your head, spinning through the air and you know you're going to die in three seconds. And then, miraculously, it goes over your head. You didn't even have time to move, you were just frozen in space, but it goes over your head. Then the sound, the voice on the radio says that the impact from the mushroom cloud will reach you, and there's no escape, in three minutes. Well, now three minutes seems like a long time. If you thought you were gonna die in three seconds, hmm. three minutes is a very long time. You can actually call somebody. You can write a little note and tell somebody left behind that you love them. There's all mm. kinds of things you do, you can do. The essay is called Seven Threes, and it plays out that scenario or a similar scenario for three seconds, three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks, three months, and three years. So that's the Seven Threes. Mm. And and you know when you compare any of those to the preceding one to the shorter one, it seems like you have a long time. Three seconds is nothing. Three minutes is nothing. Three three weeks is really nothing. We think that's a very short time, but three weeks compared to three days, yes. it seems like forever. You can actually go see the, the person or people you want to say goodbye to if you have three weeks. You can't. You probably can't do that in three days. Yes. And so, it's it's sort of relative, and how we act in light of the very limited time we have left here on the planet, I think, is the best measure of our character. Do we have a week? Do we have a month? I don't know. You don't know your expiration date, and I don't either. But if we act with urgency as if the
1: days matter, I think that's the best we can do. Yes, I agree. Before we go, even if we have to answer in our next segment, at least start us on this, you uh, define for us your idea of an, an American empire. You mentioned President Trump a bit ago how and when is it likely to collapse, and should that happen, what impact will it have on life on Earth, the collapse of the American empire?
0: Well, I think it's likely in the not-too-distant future. Since 1929, there are very, very few periods, as long as the current one. There may not be any, but there certainly are very few without a serious stock market correction. Mm. So, if the stock market correction comes, say, this fall, then and, and it results in the, in the loss of imperial status for the United States, if the US dollar goes away as the world's reserve currency, then what that does is, it's a much more severe economic crash than we experienced during global financial crisis 2008. Mm-hmm. It's been 10 years since that event, and I think you'd have to look pretty hard to find a period longer than seven years since 1929 without a major stock market correction. So, what would that do? If if it reduced industrial activity, and it almost certainly would. In fact, if industrial activity has been reduced by as little as 35% around the globe. That produces up to a one degree Celsius global average temperature rise in a matter of weeks. So a significant slowdown of the world economy, initially beginning with the United States economy, Mm. would cause a very rapid global average temperature rise. And it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario in which plants and non-human animals could keep up with that very rapid rate of change. And when we can't grow food, when the plants don't keep up, when the trees die because of the significant rise in global average temperature, they go away. And when trees go away, we're not far behind. When honeybees go away, we're not far behind. Mm. So I think the consequences could be quite extreme in a very short period of time, a matter of weeks or months, certainly not years, because the every every plant on the planet is, is uniquely suited to the place where it's found with those soils and those mycorrhizae and those bacteria in the soils and that physical environment. You change that physical environment that much, one degree Celsius is a tremendous change, and that means that those plants simply do not survive. They cannot persist in light of a very rapid increase in temperature like
1: that. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. We are talking to conservation biologist, Ph.D., Dr. Guy McPherson, and he is talking to us from the Maya mountains of western Belize in Central America. Stay with us. There's more to learn. We'll be right back. Welcome to the NDFEL Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders. Those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it you'll see the age of consequences, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program today. Our reasonable voice is Dr. Guy McPherson, PhD. He is a conservation biology professor. That is his background, that is his experience. That And his life mission, dare I suggest, is without financial compensation, is to wake us up to certain ramifications, and by doing so, not frighten us, but rather inspire us to make the most of our time on Earth. How's that, Guy? that sort of cover it?
0: That's perfect, thank you, you're very kind.
1: Oh, I, I think it's very true. The guy was just defining uh, the American empire. I'm not going to get into a political thing, but certainly the collapse of the American empire is at least I think uh, prudent to accept the the potential for that, given our current political turmoil. Let's put it that way. House divided against itself, etc. Now, moving away from that, however, I'd like to ask Guy, uh, what I, I understand there's a McPherson paradox. What is that?
0: Ah. Uh. And this follows directly from that conversation about collapse of the American empire and what consequences are. Consequences would be a reduction in global dimming. Industrial activity not only produces greenhouse gases that most of us are aware of, Mm -hmm. and those greenhouse gases hold the heat close to the Earth once the sunlight gets through the atmosphere and warms the Earth. But at the same time, industrial activity warms the planet through the production of greenhouse gases. Industrial activity also cools the planet by producing aerosols which go into the atmosphere and act as umbrellas, thereby preventing sunlight from even reaching the Earth's surface and therefore not allowing it to warm the Earth's surface. So a bunch of that incoming sunlight is actually reflected away, umbrella-like, by these aerosols that produce through industrial activity. So the McPherson paradox is, greenhouse gases produce their industrial activity warm the planet and if we turn off industrial activity or even reduce it what that does is increase the global average temperature of the planet even faster than those greenhouse gases do that's the paradox we're damned if you do damned if you don't
1: that is a paradox so you have any ideas I mean well well, this is the problem with uh, reduction
0: in industrial activity which we know is that it's boiling the air and dirtying the water and causing the erosion of soils into the ocean. And You know, you look at pretty much all industrial activity and it looks like it's bad news and much has been written about the untoward outcomes of industrial activity. And that's all well and good to point those things out. I've been doing it for years myself. But Mm. then when you realize that industrialization has this cooling effect at the same time it has this warming effect and the consequences for global average temperature rise it just blows your mind because you can talk all day about people switching to squirrely light bulbs and electric cars and reducing their ecological footprint and on and on and on but at the end of the day for people who are promoting the collapse of industrial civilization what you're promoting is the loss of habitat for human animals that much faster and we won't even get into to the world's 450 and change nuclear power facilities Mm. when civilization collapses and no workers show up for their jobs but it's not good news
1: okay and I know you you certainly discussed um, what happens when the habitat goes earlier both both suggested by the president of Finland, but also obviously your own research. I, I guess, well, I still come back to, I'm not just <laughs> trying to give you a, an unnecessary pat on the back, um, but we come back to, I believe, what is your overriding message, at least the one I got the last times we've talked with one another, and that is whatever time there is left, Every day, every single day, every communication and relationship and event, we need to be passionately pursuing a life of excellence. What does that mean to you, uh, uh, by the way? Uh, I know what it means to me, but what does that mean to you, Guy?
0: It took me a long time to come up with that catchphrase to go along with my blog. And what it means to me is, Passionately. First of all let's look at the word passionately. Let's passionately pursue let's let's actively get out there and chase after it. Mm. Don't be passive. Don't let the world come to you. And I've enjoyed enormous privilege throughout my life as a as a Caucasian male of a certain age. I've had some things come my way that I was almost undoubtedly undeserving. Just because I'm a Caucasian man in this society, various advantages have come my way Mm. but I don't want to stop there I want to passionately pursue I want to look around and go after a life of excellence and for me a life of excellence means doing what I love and doing it well not doing it poorly not you know any every little thing in your life and there are thousands throughout the course of a day Mm. thousands of little acts that you partake in and you can do them halfway, or you can do them well. If you're you know, if you're washing the dishes, and you don't actually get them clean, then somebody else has got to do that later. Mm-hmm. So why bother? Why don't you just go all the way? Why don't you wash the darn dishes when it's your turn? And, and it carries over when you start practicing excellent all these activities, whether it's cleaning up after yourself, or preparing a meal, or being compassionate, being kind to people, opening the doors in every way in this societal life. I think once you start practicing those behaviors, then it doesn't take long before you're unwilling to give up principle. Mm. You're gonna pursue actions out of principle, even if it doesn't make you money along the way, even if it doesn't improve your stature in the community. And I think that's important. I think that maintaining one's principles is far more important than maintaining one's paycheck or maintaining one's privilege or maintaining one's position in this society. So for me, that's what it's all about. It's about looking at those words carefully, at their definitions, at their etymology, and pursuing life as if it matters, as every as if every moment matters. Because if you act as if every moment matters, then pretty soon every moment will matter. Yes. How could you live better than that? Yeah.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Uh, well, you did mention uh, the sixth mass ex- extinction on Earth. What Can you give us an example? Give us an example. I think that's beyond uh, most unscientific minds to really uh, you know, visualize. What Could you give us an example of a mass extinction on Earth? I mean, it's happened, obviously, if we're in the middle of the sixth one. what? Give us some examples of what preceded, one that preceded, what, what happened?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because we have never experienced a mass extinction event a mass extinction event by definition is one in which at least fifty percent of the species on earth go extinct wow. there's a mass extinction event there have been there have been more than a dozen what what are called less less than mass extinction events minor extinction events uh, in which 25 percent or more of the species on the planet go extinct but not Fifty percent or more. Mm. So we've only had five of these previously. We're in the midst of the six. The first one was 439 million years ago, the Ordovician-Silurian extinction event, and 364 million years ago, the Late Devonian extinction, and then the, the Great Dying, the Permian-Triassic boundary, that occurred some 252 million years ago. That one accounted for more than 90% of the species on the planet going extinct and more than 95% of the terrestrial species, of the the land-based species, going extinct in a relatively short period of time. And then the the fifth, the one before this one, is the Cretaceous-Paleogene extinction event. It was about 65 million years ago. And it resulted from planetary cooling as an interstellar body struck the Yucatan Peninsula caught oil fields on fire and the soot from those oil fields filled the atmosphere and reduced the global average temperature, thereby causing the demise of the dinosaurs. And the abrupt increase in the variety and number of mammals on the planet, including our predecessors. So if it were not for the this extinction event on planet Earth, we would not be here today because our predecessors would not have come into existence. Because of that abrupt cooling event, we are here. We are here today because of a mass extinction event. And unfortunately, this is the only extinction event, the sixth, that is driven by a single species, that being ours. Mm. And I think at this point that we'll be on humans having much control over the matter because of what you already mentioned in the Pearson Paradox. We can either keep overheating the planet or we can turn off the switch of civilization. Either way, we're facing near-term human extinction. So uh, we, we started the show this time. We're the ones primarily responsible for driving 150 50 to 200 species to extinction every single day. Mm. But at this point, nature has has is in the batter's box yes. and is stepping up to the plate as we speak.
1: So, I, what's your evidence? That's what people are going to ask me when they hear this program. What's your evidence for abrupt, irreversible climate change? And by the way, are there other scientists who agree with your assessment?
0: Well, interestingly, I get asked that question all the time. And I draw from the work of other scientists to reach this conclusion. So I would have to conclude that many scientists agree with me because I'm drawing extensively from the referee journal literature that is the life's work of those other scientists. For example, Peter Wadhams is the world's leading authority on the Arctic ice and the Energy that is absorbed by the ice to transform the solid ice into liquid water. It's his work that points to an abrupt global average rise in temperature as a result of the ice melting in the Arctic. It's the work of several scientists, in fact, incorporated into government agencies now, such as NOAA, indicating the global average temperature that we've experienced so far since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution commonly pegged at about 1750. it's the work of the referee journal literature and the authors contributing to it that points to the global dimming that prevents further abrupt rise in temperature it's the referee journal literature in a paper by Levy and colleagues from 2013 indicating that as little as 35% reduction in, in industrial activity produces a global average temperature rise of one degree Celsius in a very short period of time. So there are many scientists who have contributed to my overarching work, that of collating, integrating, and synthesizing the evidence. Are there scientists who come right out and say the kinds of things that I say? No, of course not because these people want to retain the privilege of their positions. And if you say what I say, then you're no longer one of the most popular people at the drinking fountain. There, I draw pretty heavily from the work of Sam Carana. Sam Carana is a, an unknown character, and more likely a group of people, two or three people at least, who put together to collate the relevant scientific information and put it out at the Arctic News blog for anybody to see. Mm. And these people are doing an enormous service, and they were smarter than I was in that they are not revealing their identities. People like me, people like Jason Box, who reveal their identities, people like Camille Parmesan, people like Peter Wadham, I already mentioned, These are climate scientists and conservation biologists who have spoken out and have been censored by their universities as a result. So, as a consequence, there's not a lot of incentive for telling the whole truth that the evidence leads to. Mm. And so I think that's one of the reasons we don't see a lot more people speaking out. That said, there are lots of climate scientists who are familiar with my work and who do not disagree with any of it. So they don't come right out and say, yeah, Guy person has got this nailed. Mm-hmm. But while they busil- bus- busily libel and slander me and are very actively involved in character defamation, nobody ever takes issue with the evidence I present because the evidence is unimpeachable. It mm. comes from those same scientists, and it's published in the most conservative outlets. So it's difficult to argue with the scientific process, especially the process of peer review, and its conservative conclusions. So people don't argue with that. They just call me names instead, which is way easier. And sort of like, you know, junior high behavior.
1: Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around, it seems, these days. And I guess um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I... I'm not trying to back either one of us into a corner, but I can't help but suggest that if there are scientists agreeing or disagreeing with you who are not telling the full story publicly, then certainly there are many governments that are not. Would you dare to answer that one?
0: Absolutely. There's uh, Again, I don't see any government Agencies or personnel coming out and disagreeing with the evidence I present. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there, there are lots of individuals in governments who won't answer questions when they're asked, who dodge the questions, who change the subject, and so on. But again, the evidence is, is out there in the public domain readily available for anybody who wants to track it down and I don't see anybody in governments or in the scientific community who are saying Guy McPherson is wrong because he cites this literature and this literature and this literature and we know now that those pieces of evidence are incorrect. They have been They've been corrected by this piece of evidence and this piece of evidence and this paper that was in the Proceedings National Academy of Sciences. I don't see any of that going on. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to conclude that since nobody is taking issue with the evidence, that the evidence must be correct. Yes. That, that I'm actually not cherry picking the information, I'm just collating the existing evidence into a format that makes it easy to understand not just for the scientific community but for the what we might call the lay public uh, people who do not have a PhD in any scientific realm who have not been teaching courses in climate change. You know the the, the so called man and woman on the street who are just trying to get through their day every day and they have to rely upon the voices of others to figure out how to go forward.
1: So it sounds like they're shooting the messenger, not the message. Uh, okay. Uh, you
0: know, that's an age old, age-old technique,
1: isn't yes. it? Yes, the it is. People little stories where people have presented the evidence have just handed the note that's bad news and that messenger is shot almost immediately. So, of course, that's happening. Yes. Guy, before we go, and we do need to tell us uh, about your website, how can we find your books, uh, see your videos, uh, and get more information. I feel information is always our best defense, and if nothing else, it should inspire all of us, I keep coming back to this, to passionately, as Dr. McPherson says, passionately pursue a life of excellence. So, how do we find out more about you and and what you've been telling us?
0: Well, thanks for the opportunity, Marcello. You can find all my work at guymcpherson.com and it will take you to a website that's called Nature Bad Blast, and it has that tagline you already mentioned passionately, pursue a life of excellence. So Guy McPherson takes you to a whole bunch of videos and a whole lot of written information, my journal articles, my routine books, and so on. And there's also my contact information there. So if somebody wants to contact me and point out the errors I've made, I am very receptive. Nobody wants to be wrong. In the whole history of the planet, more than I do. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody can point out the errors I have made in interpreting the journal literature, please send me the message. And all my contact information is right there at, at Nature Best Labs at guymcpherson.com.
1: Guy, first name G U Y, last name M C P H E R S O N. Okay, and if you Google him, you'll get where you're going. Want to go as well? All right, we have had an eye-opening, brain-challenging conversation once again with Guy McPherson, PhD, conservation biologist, realizing that consequences of abrupt climate change, the foreshadowing of it, gives us the opportunity to do something with our lives. Something very positive in giving and sharing for all people. And that's the message Guy always gives me, I feel. I hope you feel the same. Thank you so much, Guy McPherson, PhD. We appreciate you being on the show again, Guy, and all the best to you. And keep telling us everything we need to know, okay? Thank you, Marcello. I appreciate it. Look forward to the next time. You got it. Bye now. And now, enjoy WatchFire Music. Featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord
0: a new song. Sing unto
1: the Lord all the earth. For the Lord... i Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Will we choke on Trump-Pence ashes or revive and breathe free? Hurricane Florence is real, Trump-Pence administration false, but both are equally dangerous while we continue to chase media-led distractions from the truth that sets us free. The New York Times op-ed seems more a plea for forgiving accomplices after the fact than reassurance. Either way, it exposes our stability deficit, lack of judgment, and reckless misplaced hero worship. Our choice is confirmed by a veteran of fourth estate journalism experienced in co-defeating a criminal POTUS. We are free to succumb to desperation in the belly of the beast illegally dabble in de facto coup, or vote to free America from the chosen demagogue of 30% of Americans, all while the whole world is watching. Although certain of the gray lady's due diligence, the delusional White House submitter is as misguided as a Trump rally. Panning split focus on the public, whether directed or not by a ranting reality show host, unhinged from the reality that sixty percent of his landlords want to terminate his lease. When a deceiver successfully deceives millions, is himself deceived by his addiction to provocative prevarication, is America Machiavelli squared by conservative political connivers and their overzealous worshippers? Our best counter to what we bequeath our future? By example, don't throw out voices of reason with the sullied bathwater of unreasonable Republican hubris. Nonetheless, in re-establishing America's exceptional world leadership, angry rhetoric is an unnecessary drain on our necessary collaborative mission to passionately pursue a life of excellence before Trump-Pence era is irreversible. At this perilous late date, self-preservation demands we replace derision with civil debate, at least among Democrats, ever aware of our 2016 House Divided Lesson continuing to be fixated puppets of K Street, Wall Street, or a media narrowly preoccupied, diminishes our self-motivation to think for ourselves, with empathy for all others, whether perceived as political friends or foes. Likewise, can we afford to pass on our current inheritance of arrogantly presuming dominance over international antagonists, while assuming blind obedience from long-term allies, instead of cleansing ourselves of leaders who've turned their back on global stewardship? Remember, Presidents Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, and John F. Kennedy weren't brutes forcing their way to the front of the line. Yet, global generations still benefit from their quests for world peace. Although freedom's unfinished work, now damaged by Trump-Pence cracks at our outer fringes, America's core still shields us, who yearn to breathe free, from the temporary superficial intrusion of alternative facts. Too often self-distracted victims of corporate deviations from the common good, we miss the frost of the GOP political machine, failing to comprehend this devastatingly new phase of a dangerously divergence from America's road less traveled by. While perfection will forever elude us, it nonetheless lights our pathway to better ensure our inexorable involvement with all life on earth reclaiming we are forever a part of the main. Now, do we stand still, looking backwards, or continue our work in progress, stand for national anthem clutching heart and scriptures, or admit that too many who do these things have forgotten, I was hungry, and you gave me no food, I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. In 2018, all must choose the arena, Either vigilant oversight to outmaneuver herds confusing patriotism with mob rule, or avert our attention while an ice-pick in our democratic republic bankrupts post-man-made natural disaster restoration. Therefore perfection must remain our secondary goal, but better can eradicate Citizens United, radicate a Congress withholding funds needed to protect our electoral system, radicate gerrymandered districts and red mapping. Listen, prioritizing immediate individual concerns is understandable, but choosing to ignore, as many are ignored, our need to elect leaders who embrace our natural progression forward into diversity denies any collective emancipation. We must be clear. Consistent, prosperous jobs, paychecks, and rising minimum wages are less likely to be perfect without our doing better at equality for women, LBGTQ, people of color, 9-11 families, and first responders, and our children who deserve better, not being sacrificed on the altar of perfect. On November 6th, let's be better like Luck, Wisconsin Benefactor. Dennis Friends Foundation, Jeffrey Owens, and Tyler Perry. And remember, Tuesday, 6 November, 2018, is the day we save the life of America, if we can keep it. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.